everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And as promised this week, I have brought you guys the most exciting guest. I have been ecstatic since the book arrived to bring in Vanessa Fox O'Hare. Oh, hon. oh, I was close. <laughs> Don't worry. I was close. Time. I overthought it. I Blake. It's much easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were, funnily enough, we were just talking pen names. Um, so, yeah. And I actually found I can't use Mick Carrington in America because no one can see it. Yeah, I thought it was an easy one because it's Mick and Carrington, you know, but no, apparently, no, people can't say that. So I'm probably going to end up going to Fleming at some point because, yeah. Worked worked for Ian, so I think you'll be all fine. Yep, yep. So that's kind of where mine comes from. Do you want to share yours? Yeah, so my full name is Vanessa Fox O'Loughlin, which as you've encountered already is a tricky one to say and um, it's very difficult in the UK particularly when people are introducing me because they get to the, the K well the GH bit and it's, it sounds like a K but they don't manage that so basically we decided um, right at the start of my career that a, a pen name would be a good idea also Vanessa Fox and Lockland is enormously long to fit onto a cover obviously as well so it would all be a bit of squash um, and it's really important when you're thinking about pen names to come up with something that people can remember and that's really easy if somebody catches a snatch of it on the radio or TV or whatever um, that it's an easy one to remember and then to Google or whatever. So Sam Blake 
fills, fills sort of all the criteria. Um, there's also a theory that men don't read crime written by women. So there's an awful lot of crime writers that have androgynous first names and that's where the Sam comes from. So yeah, it's a good name. And B, B on the shelf is a great place because I'm in Ireland, I'm between Binchy and Sebastian, um, Benjamin Black. So that's a good, uh, nice eye level in the library. So uh, it's a good place to Unless be. Unless you're short like me. Well. <laughs> and then you're just like <laughs> second shelf or something. <laughs> so you've got two amazing books out. You've got Four Houses mis- Mystery I've Novel. Got the Mystery of Four, which Mystery is, of Four, that just right. came, out, came out in January. We're, yep. we're recording this earlier than people are, read- and are listening, aren't we? So um, yeah, so the Mystery of Four came out in January and went straight to number one. Um, Which is amazing, congratulations. Probably, yeah, probably knocked off by Prince Harry. <laughs> but that's fine. The, yeah, uh, it was It was a bit, it was a bit, I just felt so bad for you because I saw that and I was like, no, oh fine. dear. We've got <laughs> lots of extra news out of it because the uh, the press and the papers have picked it up and then the TV news did a thing about Harry and my book was in every single shot, so you can't complain really. No, uh, so that was great. And then, yeah, the other book that is coming came out May 4th is called Something Terrible Happened Last Night, and it's my YA debut. So that's uh, oh, wow. a, a whole uh, a whole new thing, a whole new area. So what made you nice. jump from crime to YA? Yeah, well, it's cri- still crime, so it's, it's crime okay. for 14, 16-year-olds, or 14 plus, I should say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so crime, crime novel, um, it's about um, a girl, well, a school called Raven's um, Hill and a private girls' school, and the um, kids in it, um, they're great, actually. Frankie, Saoirse, and Jess are my three protagonists. Um, but they go to Katie's birthday party, Katie's 17, and um, she's quite well off. She's having a very big birthday party. Her parents are away, and uh, all hell breaks loose, and there's a big fight. It's all a bit of a disaster, and when they go back to help her clear up, they find that there's a d- dead body behind the sofa. So uh, that's, uh, that's what that one's all about. It does remind me a little bit of Pretty Little Liars for some reason. I don't know why, but that just sprung up in my head. And we were we were a fan of that show because we watched it, me and my partner. Um, except for he would every so often shout, "Why are you not taking a weapon with you?" Because <laughs> they're teenagers. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds amazing, and I love when you get YA crime because kids. Rather than kids jumping into crime for adults, I think it's a good stepping stone. Yeah. Um, and you don't really get a lot of that. I think Sarah Shepard was the first YA crime novelist I met, and I kind of got introduced to. And then I was like, "Is there anybody else doing this?" Um, so yeah, it's good. Good to see some sort of I call it UK talent. Yeah. That is uh, trying to change it a little bit more exactly because there's some big americans but there's still um holly jackson's a great um fantastic writer um i loved her good girl's guide to murder and her new one five, five survivors great too so um yes there's good people out there it's fun I, I love writing crime i love mysteries and i love puzzles so um it's yeah new area exciting so tell us about the one that's just come out in january so the mystery of four is um one of my adult thrillers so it's a site more of a psychological type thriller um, it's this one's a bit different from the previous ones I've written because it's more a bit more cozy, um, mm-hmm. sort of Agatha Christie inspired. It's a country house mystery. Um, it's about a lady called Tess Morgan who um, something awful happens to her in Dublin and she leaves Dublin when she's finished her degree to go to Dubai and works there for a while. Um, and she, when she gets to the stage where she's ready, she's ready to come back, she sees a country house for sale. Um, and the house is burned down, so it's going for a good price. So she invests all her money, her savings, everything 
all the money she's earned in Dubai in this country house, this pile, uh, a Kilfenora house, which is up in the Wicklow Mountains. Um, and she spends two years restoring it. So we meet her really as the house is ready to go, it's ready to open to the public. She's opening it as a venue for the public and, uh, you know, doing house tours and all that type of thing. Um, and she's just invested everything in it. So we, we meet her just a week before the grand opening weekend. Um, she's organised this uh, play of Dr Faustus to be performed as part of the opening weekend so she can invite the press and she can show off the banqueting hall and everything. And she's just literally getting ready to go um, from her house, the butler's lodge, to across to the stable yard to go into to the play when she gets a call from a journalist to say that he believes a dead body has been buried on her land. Um, so that's the first thing that goes wrong. And then from there, um, all sorts of things start to happen to the cast of Dr. Faustus. Um, and we start to really fear for Tess. Um, so that's really essentially the plot. Um, there's lots of twists and turns and uh, lots so of So what inspired it? Like, what, what would you say was your, your main inspiration for this? Um, a, a variety of things this time. So Amanda Lees um, is a friend of mine and she's written an amazing book called The Dictionary of Crime, yeah. uh, which basically is a dictionary of ways to kill people uh which i really <laughs> enjoyed reading and i got to i found a, a, a poison in there right at the start called aconite that i found very interesting it's um a beautiful blue flower that grows in an awful lot of gardens and um it's an ornamental flower and it's grown you know run run won royal horticultural awards um and i just thought it was very interesting it's very very toxic um and it has a very short half-life so it's not always detectable so that was very interesting that really started me off and i started was thinking about that I just watched Agatha Christie's, um, actually the movie of Agatha Christie's book, Murder is Easy, um, and the filmmakers have decided to put Miss Marple into that, even though she's not in the book. Um, yeah. And so I was very interested in that whole idea of the fact that you could have a series of different, completely different murders, um, yeah. and yet they could be connected. So that's been a little bit of a clue to, for you there, for anybody who, um, who wants to dip in. Um, so that was another influence and then the other thing that happened was I was uh, watching I was in London and got back to my hotel and caught the end of a documentary that Trevor McDonald was doing um, about okay. cold cases and investigations and um, he basically was he went to um, he was doing an investigation into Fred West victims because apparently there was yeah. a victim out there they haven't found and uh, he went to this uh, farm or discovered that there was, he felt there were remains. It was him and a whole load of forensic psychologists and all sorts of different other people. I think um, I've seen this, yeah. It was really good, yeah. There, there were these remains on a farm and he went to the owners and said, you know, can we come and dig up your farm basically and have a look? And they said no. And, and obviously Trevor McDonald wasn't working with the police at this stage. It's an independent investigation, so he couldn't get a warrant or whatever. And, um, and I just thought it was a really interesting moral dilemma. I just, this is a book about, there's a lot of moral dilemmas in the mystery of four. And, um, and I just thought that's very interesting because, you know, you, you sort of, you really want for the victim's family and for, the, you know, everybody involved in that to have closure if there are remains there. And yet, do you want to become the middle of this sort of media circus that's inevitable, um, particularly with course, a notorious yeah. killer like that? So, yeah, so I thought it was very interesting. Um, so, yeah, so all of those things came together. And um, I, I love I the idea, I was sort of ready to to write to investigate golden age mysteries and I love the idea of a country house um, and that sort of locked, sense of a locked room so it's very much set in the house in the village um, and we have a, a, quite a big cast of characters but um, obviously there's no sort of blow-in killers if you like um, yeah. so um, yeah so we know we know somebody's up to nefarious deeds within the cast that we have so yeah that's, that's that I just fancy that challenge really 
Um, I really enjoyed writing it. The characters are larger than life. There's some, some fun ones in it. Those are the funnest ones to write when you get a character that you just get swept along with. Because I know from like doing a lot of my stuff where you get to that point of, I can't stand this book anymore. Because <laughs> we all get frustrated. It's, it's a natural sort of process for all of us. Um, so when you have that one character that can just keep you going, especially when you're getting to that slug of, oh, I'm halfway there, I can do this. But you're getting tired, so yeah, I, I have one character. She, she just, wash, washes me away every single time. I think even think about writing anything to do with her, um, and that's with Minoru Story. Um, she's terrible because she's such a hothead and firecracker. And one minute I could be just writing a very calm dinner, and the next thing I know, she's throwing a plate at somebody's head, and I'm like. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> but I just go with it, you know. It's just just the, her personality comes through, and I. Uh, so yeah, I I totally get that when you've got those really large characters, and I've actually the longest book I've ever written, which is I think it's coming up to a hundred and thirty thousand words. Oh God, that's long. Yeah. Yeah, and that's been Harold's book, and it's just a case of he doesn't want the story to add that I'm sitting here thinking. I've got to cut this book in like half or yeah. something. It's yeah. just yeah, definitely. huge. But yeah, I love I love him as well because he's he's this tormented soul that just keep things just keep going wrong for him. You mm. want to hate him, but at the same time, you you just feel sorry for him. Um, and it doesn't doesn't help me that I've based it on a friend. So that, yeah. that can be difficult because the the truth can hobble you. So yeah. you can find that actually you end up getting yourself a bit tangled up in um, in the truth when actually the fiction. When I when I started it, it, it had a lot of him in it, um, mm. but Harold's really sort of become him his own, yeah, which is good. Um, however, I did get a text from him one day saying, "Is this character me?" Because I forgot to tell him, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Why, Harold? What an awful day!" Oh, okay. So, the yeah, side note for beginner writers, if you do that, let your friend know ahead of time. Definitely get their approval or they might just turn yeah. around and sue you. So you need to be careful using yeah. real people, yeah. generally to be avoided. Yeah, yeah. No, my characters are all very much fictional. And, yeah, um, yeah definitely try and... Uh, sometimes there'll be blends, obviously. But I think we, all, we draw on what we know, don't we? And we yeah, we do. We know and places and stuff, so... Often they're blends of different things, but um, yeah, I was, I was doing an interview yesterday um, and one this morning, and it was just we were you know, talking about characters and jobs and names and things like that. And I think it's just really interesting to develop characters. I find that very um, that's always part of the challenge, getting to know new people. Do you separate like so when you're plotting out your books? I'm assuming you plot because yeah. in mur murder mysteries, I always think if you're not plotting, it must be a lot harder to write. Yeah, I didn't actually plot mystery four in much detail at all. Um, oh, wow. I um, I plotted all the others, so Mystery Four is my eighth book, and um, I've yeah. got the the ninth book, which is coming out, well, the ninth adult book, which will be coming out in um, no, it's actually book ten, uh, will be coming out in January twenty twenty four. Um, I I yeah. started plotting it out, and with that one, I decided um, by about chapter five that I really liked the character, the character I was about to kill off. I really liked. And I didn't want to kill her, so I thought, no, I'm not going to do this. And it was a book I wrote during COVID, um, and so I wasn't, it wasn't under contract or anything. So I just thought, no, I'm just going to keep going. I, can't, I don't want to go back to the, the, the detailed plot. Well, it's not that detailed, but it's fairly detailed plot that I'd written. And um, 
yeah. start all over again and see what I couldn't have got with any of that. So I thought, no, I'll just keep writing it. And it worked really well. So with Mischief 4, I thought I'd try, I love with each book to try and challenge myself a bit more. And uh, with Mystery Floor, I had a very had a clear outline of where I wanted to go with it and what was going to happen. Um, but I wanted to see where the, the characters took me and the story took me. So yeah, I didn't plot that one so much. Yeah, I think that like particularly I started a dystopian and it's not finished yet because it's COVID just totally derailed me entirely. Um, but yeah, like I found myself because it was dystopian, I had the plot of what I was wanting to do. But then I had to have a secondary book, which was just character information. Yeah. Because I soon Bible. found myself just getting weighed down in this. Does she have, what, what was her hair color again? Because like with YA, I think you have to remember so many details. More, well, I mean, I, more details, I would like, say. Anything big like that or a series, then um, yeah. yeah. In TV, they call it a character Bible. Um, yep. And if you're doing any anything series-wise, then abs that's absolutely essential to add to it. Because if yep. you write a particularly long-running series, you suddenly mention Aunt Mabel's dog, you know, four years after Aunt Mabel's dog died. And if you get the name wrong, somebody's going to remember. Um, and so, tell yeah. you. Yep. Yeah. Car yep. So character Bibles are absolutely... Yeah. When I wrote my first three books were a, a police procedural trilogy and uh, featuring a girl called Kat Connolly. And I, and I wrote a character Bible for that just to keep all the names in, in check. And also, when you write lots of books, I find you, you, you can accidentally reuse names. Um, yeah, I've just got that too. Yeah, then I'm left with the challenge of like trying to work out, well, trying to explain why this person has the same name as somebody else. So somebody might end up being somebody's cousin or, you know, cousin third removed. Um, and um, that has happened to me before, and I've ended up trying to, to patch things together, um, which works. It's fun, I think. What I try to do when I write is create a universe. So same yeah. Sam Lake world. Um, and there are certain characters who will reappear. They're not necessarily reappear, but you'll get glimpses of them in different books um, and certain brands. So number 42 is a brand, a, a jewellery company, um, which is in Keep Your Eyes On Me, which is my first psychological thriller. Um, and that's about a jewellery designer who's going to New York to get a job um, and meet somebody on the plane and they end up hatching plots together. Um, but she's going to work for this company called Number 42. So in the subsequent books, um, you'll find people with pieces of jewellery from Number 42, which is a also something in that world um, and people stay in the same hotels and things like that and I love that idea of the fact that it's it is they they are their own people in their own world yeah so yeah trying to build that very much my big challenge when I did Marie's world was I wanted the readers to feel like they were part of that universe almost so they weren't just reading like Marie's story or Layla's story or, or you know whoever's it was I wanted them to feel like they were actually sitting in the audience yeah, well, that's absolutely, a lot it's of absolutely it. essential, isn't it? That the, that yeah. your reader feels like they're in the book with the. Characters. I wish I'd done a, wish I'd done character bibles for that one. <laughs> I was like, there's five books and there's like thirty two plotted, uh, which I have never gotten back to. But there's thirty two plotted, and it's that way where I'm like, I know the characters well enough that I won't make the mistakes. But at the same time, I'm like. Well, over that many books, you wouldn't. You'd forget things. So yeah, no, you yeah. definitely need. My books need to go back before you get stuff. I'm going to have to, yeah, because I was notes. like thinking of because they both of them have been in love triangles their entire lives. I'm going to have to go back and remember right who was who was with who then and who was with who here, and I'll just have to plot out the relationships again because it's just that was the thing about that series was when I worked with my co-author, he was great at he was like a mind trap for detail. So if I would take it to a certain point and he'd be like, okay, you forgot 
this, 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 and this, go back. Yeah. And I would re and we just went through chapter by chapter and he said it was such a fun process to do that and just experience the, the characters building and the world sort of worlds are the only way I know how to write. So this world kinda comes up. But if, funnily enough, my my start actual start in writing came from a wrestling writer. So they kinda drill into you three D characters. I don't know if you remember this. But it was there was a big thing at these conferences a couple of years ago where they were going on about we want three D characters, we we want these characters to be somebody you want to have a beer with or you want to meet in a restaurant or whatever. And I was sitting there thinking, I've done this all the entire time. Like Well, I think every every character needs to be three dimensional, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, there's not even a it's if you have a two dimensional character they're just not gonna feel real and they're not you know, your your reader isn't gonna be living in the story. Um, yeah, and that's, but I mean, there I, is I, there is the characters that are two D out there that I are know, bestsellers, you know. The, the, but their books are never going to be as good as or or as lift. Your your reader is never going to be as involved with them, I think, unless the the characters mm -hmm. have all those flaws and things. I teach a lot of creative writing and run a big writers group, and um, yeah, developing character is just really really important. Um, yeah, any, I'll I'll writer. spend months just putting the characters together mm. before I'll even write the concept of the plot. Because to okay. me, like, if the characters aren't there and you don't know their individual personalities, it's just not going to work. It's just yeah. not going to no, work. You need to know, yeah, I, I, I like them. I like them. I like to have some basic pieces in place. I like to know um, what they look like and what their names are and what jobs they've done and how old, you know, when they were 18, what was the, the chart, what was in the charts, what, what were their, what were the formative things that made them the way they were. Um, but in order to get them consistent and to make sure their motivation is consistent, um, you need to understand a huge amount of their backstory. So, are we videoing or is this just podcast? I've forgotten. No, it's I've just audio. No need to I worry. Because I've got, a, I was going to show you my storyboard. I create storyboards for um, yep. different books so that you uh, can. So I have all the pictures of the characters. So I go around the internet and find the pictures of the characters um, who look like the characters who are in my head. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter who they are; they could be famous actresses, or they might not be at all. It might be somebody nobody's even heard of. Um, and then I create storyboards for each one. Um, and when I'm creating those, I create them so that I've got. I have a lot of location pictures as well. Um, it's just an A, big A, A2, I think, um, board. And um, I, I'm able to group the subplot sort of bits together so that you know people around around the different story areas are, are put together on the board. But I find that really useful because I'm quite busy doing. All sorts of bits and pieces, as well as writing, and it's it really helps me dip in. I, I think it does. Story. Yeah, I mean, I think because when I wrote my stuff, I was actually involved with the dancing. I was involved with the wrestling, so it was it was there all the time. I couldn't like turn the blinkers on and just forget about the world and the plot and the books. And I was actually plotting the characters way before I even met my co-author. Um, and it wasn't until I met him that I got the final piece for me to be able to run it and not actually write it. So I get the, for me, like I have to physically have been there to really soak up an atmosphere in order to then put it into my books. And I, I have taken sort of lots of lessons from many of these best-selling authors that I get this amazing opportunity to sit and talk to. And I, I find that it's building into my work and it, the work is getting to that point where I'm happier because I, I can see like almost like I'm sponging it up um, 
and that's why oh I love God. this because we share this. This is like mm-hmm. a natural conversation between two people, and we share this. And then other writers who listen to this, they hear it, and then they kind of go about it too. Mm. I find that you, I, I organize a lot of events, and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people at this stage, and. I find I learn something new every single time. I either speak to a writer or listen to one every single time. It's just some way they think. Or I was talking to Lynn Barkley the other day, and he was talking about um, looking at the ends of chapters, and he thinks of them as the um, the commercial breaks on TV. So he that's always says, yeah, that's how I do it as well. Yeah, you get to the end, and you yeah. get to the end of the chapter, and he says, right, this is commercial break, so you need to bring the people back. Okay, they might have gone to put the kettle on, or they've gone to the loo, or whatever they've done, but you need to have something that's going to pull them back. So that cliffhanger at the end of every chapter needs to be like the commercial break but you need enough before it so that they're going to come back to your story and I love that idea so yeah there's loads I think literally I was talking to interview Joanne Harris as well the other day and it was a while ago and she um, was talking about the fact that she only writes 300 words a day and I was fine I'm always quoting that to people because I just find it that enormously liberating that somebody can write somebody of her you know stature and she has written loads of books um, can actually just say to herself, right, she works, writes 300 words a day, that's what she aims for, and then every, yeah. anything over that is a bonus. Um, but I just think that's wonderful because it gives you that, it gives you freedom, I think, to not worry about word counts and those types of things. Um, that, really that's good. something that we hear a lot on this podcast because I've had so many teachers on, I've had so many sort of really determined writers. I use Nano kind of as my kick up my bum because I can't lie to it. And I'm like, okay, I got to do 300 words or 600 words or whatever it is. Mm. And I go and I do it because I know that I need to feed the information in at the end of the day. And it does it does help because I sort of get that flow and I get that feeling going. But if I'm sick or I'm having a bad day, I don't feel so bad if it's only 300 words. Yeah, yeah, you no, know? exactly. It's, uh, yeah. I, well, yeah, I don't even write every day. I write when I... I tr- if I'm writing... If I'm stuck into a book um, and I have periods when I'm writing, then I will um, try and aim for about five, six thousand words a week. So sometimes I'll get those done um, during the week and there might be the odd weeks, days where I'm doing a thousand, fifteen hundred. There might be days when I've got so many meetings or I'm traveling or whatever and I can't write anything. So then I'll try and make it up at weekends and, you know, maybe write three or four thousand words over over a weekend. Um, and try and do it that way just when I'm really focused. Um, so I write quite quickly once I'm once everything's sort of sorted out and everything I can move forwards but um, obviously I'm working to deadline too so I have to make sure that everybody gets the right things at the right time so yeah deadlines are a huge inspiration especially for me because I will I will be a procrastinator terribly Mm. and then I'll be like oh crap I've got a deadline in like four and a half weeks I really should get this done (laughs) and I'll just I will become like Ian calls me zombie because I will forget to eat and I forget to sleep and he'll have to come in and remind me of these things <laughs> till I get it finished and then he'll be like okay it's done you can sleep because I will I'll just wake up at 2 in the morning and be like oh, I've got it I've got it and then I'll run through and he'll be like bet because <laughs> you, know, you know he keeps an eye on me otherwise I just end up creatively driving myself into a hole so yeah I think it's I think our partners actually play a lot in our lives as writers. I don't think it, like, I know a lot of people that has come on the show have actually realized how much their their partners play in, a, a huge role in their lives, but for me, if I didn't have Ian, I'd probably 
never done the podcast, I, my hair would be standing out five feet from my head and I would look horrendous. Um, so yeah. Do you find that? Talking through uh, ideas to people is really useful. I talk to my kids or I talk to writer friends um, and then I do yeah. a, in the writers group I run, we have, um, I have a thing on a Tuesday where I do this thing called Tuesday Tips, which is basically a bit of a diary and tips relating to writing. Um, usually based on what I'm working on at the time and I find that really useful because it's a great way to, it helps you crystallise ideas when you're putting it down for somebody um, and you're you know, talking about whatever issue it is that you're dealing with that that can help hugely um, in terms of jumping, you know, creating ideas and giving you jumping off points but uh, yeah, no, talking things through is great even if it's, even if it's just yourself making notes is, uh, is a great way to, uh, to move a story forwards I think yeah, I, I've I've done that too. Just talking to myself, I'll be doing like the dishes or something, and I'll end up talking to the cat, you know, because <laughs> like hubby's out, do whatever, and I'm like, I have to, I just got to get this out. Okay, Ooh, there's a cat. Yeah, that'll oh, work. You know, just go for it. Um, I do get some puzzled looks from them occasionally, so oh, well. that's what cats are great for. Cats are brilliant company. So you had you had a list of questions, didn't you? I can't remember what's next. On yeah, on uh, let's go for it. So. What have you read most recently, sort of, that stuck with you? Have you read anything that's really sort of gripped you? I literally just finished um, Lessons in Chemistry, which I thought was amazing. I think we're all Elizabeth Sott, and um, I just really, really, really loved that book. So it was excellent. Um, everything about it was brilliant. Um, different, different structure, interesting narrative voices, um, and breaking lots of rules, but I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a brilliant characterisation. Yeah, so that was great. So if life was calm and you were retired and everything's peaceful, who would you sit and read? You get a series and an author, but they have to be two different authors. Okay, so um, I'm not somebody who does calm. I'm somebody who does something all the time. I'm doing. I'm not like a stopping person. So um, if I was going to read, if I was, I, I, don't know, I don't know. I'd probably read. I, I love Lisa Gardner, so I'd read whatever she was writing if she was writing a series. Um, I can't reread books. Um, I have a very, very strong visual memory, and um, so yeah. I can't reread. I don't generally, except Rebecca is the only book I would reread. Um, so um, it would have to be a new series. So whatever was new, I suppose, out there, and whatever was new in terms of uh, a standalone as well. Um, there's always something fantastic coming. I'm judging the John Creasy Dagger at the moment, which is for the Crime Rights Association, and. Um, it's we've been seeing some amazing books coming through they're all debuts and um the, the standard of the writing is phenomenal and brilliant ideas i'm just loving that so yeah anything new i love debuts i love i love the fact that somebody's taken the trouble to work hard enough and to learn the craft and you know got through jumped through all of those hoops um to um to get their book out there because it's so exciting and, it uh, is, uh, and it's so hard good. nowadays. I, you know, that's why I keep saying to people, it might feel like you're papering your house with rejection letters, but it's worth it when you get that one that says, "Yeah, you only one you person know. to believe in you." Absolutely. You know, and and always take it on board. Like even if you're getting a not now, we'll read it when you've revised it. That's still progress. You're still taking steps forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah that's the thing you have to keep moving forwards and uh, yeah. have something out there that could be a yes you just never know yeah so what authors would you say has inspired you influenced you and made you excited about writing um so i would um i really love michael connelly i love lisa gardner um i love lee child when i started writing 
um, I was reading those avidly, and I think it was probably Michael Connolly's um, Black Echo, the first one, that um, really made me think, yeah, I can, I'm really into crime and really embrace crime, I think. Um, but for me, the, my, my favourite book um, is Rebecca um, by Daphne du Maurier, and I just adore that book, and that's the, that's the book I can reread um, because it's just so multi layered, there's so much in it. Um, have you tried so, Fiona Cummings yet, or um, I haven't read any. I have read some of Fiona's yet, but I haven't. Um, I haven't read them recently. So yeah, I will tell you. I read the recent one. They sent it to mm. me, and we had her on the show. Actually, it was incredible. She did an absolutely incredible job with it. Because uh, I got her when her first book came out, the Bold Collector series came out. Or the yeah, duology. I think I read that. Was the one I read a yeah. while ago. Now. And I this, yeah. I thought this is incredible and this this has one of the characters from that mm. and I thought what well, it took me a second because I have that thing with the visualness as well when I read something at stakes and I was like I know that name and I went back and I checked and I thought this is incredible um you know I I love crime and then I share it with with my aunt and my mother-in-law because they're big crime readers um, so yeah, I just also read Jane Harper for the first time. Yeah, well, Jane Harper's books are amazing. Yeah, absolutely love Jane. Yeah, yeah. so I've just read her bride. new one that's out in, it will be out by the time this is out, it was in February. Yeah, I have that on my desk right next to me here, Exiles. Oh, trust me, you want to read it. Yeah. That yeah, one nice. though, to me, was the queen of slow burn. Mm. That was the sentence I walked away from when I when I had to think about it for the review. I was like, what did this say to me? And I'm like, Queen of Slow Burn, because that whole book was just that design. It was just designed to be the slow burning thing. So yeah, uh, I've just been blown away. I also had a, a completely, I don't read horror, by the way. I, I am a wuss. Yeah, no, I don't and, either at all. No, and I, so when they sent me a fantasy that was kind of horror I was a bit anxious and I read uh, Book Ears totally absolutely incredibly done it does have its its. I would not say it's more gory than a crime novel it, it wasn't that kind of horror it was the, the horror of you're constantly like what's happening what's happening what's happening what's happening yeah but yeah, it was. I loved it. I loved just how she done it, and, and we had Sunny Dean on the show, and just hearing her journey, and they're reading the book. I was like, I could see so much of her in it, just by listening to what she'd said and sort of things like that. So I would actually try that one because if you're really visual, yeah, that one I would. Yeah, I, I have to say, fan, fan, is that fantasy horror? Is it? Not, that's not, not really I mean that's what it's classed, <laughs> right. it's, it's classed as that but I wouldn't have thought it was that if you know yeah. what I mean like the publishers has put that titles on it but that's not how it came across to me at all Yeah, I would say it's more like a fantasy thriller than yeah. I would say anything else because you're trying to work out well how is this poor girl going to survive this unspeakable world and I wouldn't even have it's such a different take. I w you should check it out and see what you think. It's not very long. It's two hundred ninety-eight pages, but yeah, it it's it's something else. Something different, anyway. Yeah. That's, That's the other good thing about this show is we all share book re like recommendations. So everybody who's ever been on probably gets recommended more than once on the show. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's it's cracking. I I have found out today I will be having Chris Lloyd on very shortly. Excellent. Um, he will have been on by the time this comes out, but yeah, yeah that was that was an incredible one uh, that we, that we did today. So when you go to the bookstore, where do you go? Like, where's your number one genre to go to know is about in? Crime. That's what I read. That's what I write. I think it's really important to read what you write. Yeah. Um, read around the genre. Crime's a huge genre. I also, um, I run something called, um, I'm involved in running um, National Crime Reading Month. And one of the yeah. joys of that is to try and bring readers to crime, to all the different elements of crime. You know, that it's not just police procedurals and dead bodies on the floor. It is... You know, way beyond that. There's crime fantasy, there's crime romance, there's Wild West crime, there's a whole huge um, area. You know, it's a universe, different. yeah. Yeah, huge. So, um, so yeah, that's where I go. So, and then, yeah, and it's great reading the dagger, the John Peter dagger um, lists means I'm I'm reading. I've got about seventy, I think seventy or eighty books to read, and it's um, just fabulous to see the breadth of stuff that's coming through it's really great so yeah it's good and, and that means you're reading outside of your comfort zone or outside of your your necessarily your natural genre too which is which is brilliant so it's i think it's nearly like being in a book club where you might get something that you don't you wouldn't normally pick up um for whatever reason and uh, there's been some fantastic books um so i'm really enjoying doing that i must admit since since i opened myself up to doing reviews for publishers there's so many books that have arrived that I'd never heard of people, half of the names that came through my door. And I was like, overwhelmed a bit at the beginning. I'm like, okay. And just as I've moved through it, I'm like, oh, I really like this author. I'll probably look into them a bit more and I'll follow them a bit more. And it has opened up my mind. And one of the things that I've, I've said in the past is if you're just a normal person and you sign up for like fairy loot or limacrate or any of these sort of book box things they're great because they're sending you books and authors debut most of the time authors that you'll never have heard of and you end up with this really great experience and one of the when i actually was talking to you there i was just thinking the curiosity club you would adore because they send you puzzles and you've got to work and it's like you the the it's like you're the detective so you're getting the file and you're getting all these and they send it in a little box yeah. every week and you've got to figure out who it is um and they do a thriller one as well where the killer's after you so you've yeah. got to figure out who he is before he gets you kind of thing um which i think is great i think if you're a really true big lover of crime it gets you that gives you that chance to play out that kind of role yourself but in a safe way yeah, you say safe way. Yeah, you know. Um, so, have you have you come across the god awful book yet? The one that you just thought, why did I start reading this? Um, and before you answer, I always explain this. As reviewers, we all find books that we can't review because of whatever reason. It's just not for us. So what I do on the show is I give examples to people who are starting out reviewing and might put down things like did not finish or this is terrible or, you know, the awful comments that we all get as authors. And I'm just using the show as a great way to explain there's other ways of dealing with a book you don't like. 
you don't need to go on Goodreads or Amazon and bash you it. You just move on. You don't. You don't. You need just to move on. About it, do you? No, exactly. No. Yeah. No, so I have, if it, you had that moment where you've gotten a book where you just can't read it and you've had to put it away and just forget about it? No, not recently. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I have very little time because I'm. Yeah. I do quite a lot of things. So I and I make sure that if I'm reading something, that's something I want to read. You know, um, I've loved everything that's coming for the for the. Um, dagger award um so far um there's been a whole big range of stuff um i do the only thing i don't like in books is mistakes in procedure and that does upset me because i think if it's your as a as a writer you have um you have a contract with your reader you're asking somebody to buy your book and then spend potentially eight hours of their lifetime reading it um and you have an obligation and a contract with your reader to deliver the best possible product that you can um, and I think possibly um, because I'm a procedural writer too that I find um, if people have made mistakes in guard police procedure, guard procedure here in Ireland, um, that that does that upsets me because I think it's it's your your obligation as a writer to find try and find out to the best of your ability what um, what way things would happen. Yeah. So when something completely ridiculous happens and you're just like, well, there's no way a detective yeah. would do that. Just no way. Um, then, then that that jerks me out of the story, and that would upset me. But um, hasn't happened recently, fortunately. I must admit, one of the things that I did when I started working on a crime series, crime novel, was I got a hold of a, a retired detective. He must hate me something, off. and I would send him questions. I'd be like, "Oh, could we do this, or can I do that, or what? We, how would you handle this?" Um, and you know he would take it apart and he would explain it to me and he goes never had anybody as interested as you <laughs> and I was like I'm just a writer I'm just a writer <laughs> but yeah like I think it is a duty of research making sure you know what you're talking about when you go into writing it so that you don't make the mistakes that the like that every reader who's probably watched a dozen true crime shows or a well, dozen you, you know as a, as, films, as a crime author you're, you're working with people your your readers they're intelligent people they're people who enjoy yeah. the puzzles and the crosswords and who do watch true crime and watch t- uh, you know huge amount of police stuff on tv um and so you have to have respect for your reader too um yeah. and that's why i always do a lot of research in terms of job people's jobs and stuff like that so that if you are an airline pilot or a ballerina then or a jewelry designer that if you're reading it it feels like the person the character who's in that who's whose role that is is real and is doing what you would do um i think that's just really important i think it's 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 important to take your reader seriously and to appreciate that that they really are using their time time is very valuable these days and that they are you know they're putting themselves out to to read your book so i i want to hold them i want to grip them i want them to keep paging turning the pages um and deliver satisfying twists um twists that they're not going to see coming at the end and so there's a payoff and that they feel when they get to the end of the book that yeah it was, it was a really really satisfying read um, yeah and I, I think it's great that we're seeing that level of respect growing because I think for the longest time a lot of people didn't know what happened in police investigations but because we are seeing like the first 48 hours and we've been seeing all these kind of other shows coming out it it is making them question writing now more than they ever did I think that's good because it makes us have to stay up to date with what's going on and, and to know everything that's going on. So I think it's good. I think we're we're kind of having a give and take 
So moving into the writing portion of the podcast, how did you go about creating the darker characters that appear in your storyline? Um, I think there's dark characters everywhere in life, so they're just the same yeah. as all the other characters, except that they have... It's, I think for me it's all about motivation. When you're creating character, you need to understand their motivation, why they think the way they do. Um, I do a lot of research into psychology and into um, sort of the way people react in situations um, and look at a lot, you know, proper research in terms of um, people's mental health and all sorts of other things, the way they might react to certain situations. And um, so I think that's the darker characters are all about motivation. It's, you know, if I understand why somebody's doing something, even if it's bizarre. Um, or, you know, they want to go around killing people, then then that's important. And it's important for the reader, too, that everything makes sense, that the motivation is correct and consistent all the way through. So um, you don't get somebody doing something just because they want to. I mean, there are people out there, sociopaths or whatever, who do, um, you know, just do stuff because they're just bad. Um, but I think there's, a, there's always a reason for that, so you have to track that back, so... Um, yeah, so darker characters, yeah, just just the same as the lighter characters, really, but just with uh, understanding their motivation and looking into their backstory more, um, and uh, yeah, working out why they want to do something or why they're motivated to do something. I mean, it's the same for me. Like when I was thinking about a lot of my stuff, I think, well, why would they do that? You know, what would? How would they justify it to somebody else? So you almost play kind of like lawyer. I think it's the way I put it, because you sit there and you've got to defend this this character's actions to somebody else. And my best friend, if I get a hold of her, I'll be like, can I run something by her? See, as soon as I say run something by her, she goes, oh, God. And I'll I'll defend that character all the way through, and we have that kind of laugh about it. But it does, it makes the stories richer, it makes the characters richer, and I've had so many of my readers come back and say, wow, you, you got really deep in this one. And I'd be like, oh, that's because I spent like two months picking people's brains, defending this actions these characters have made. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's a really good tool to use. Mm. So what, what made you pick your genre? I know that you love it, but what was the moment where you were like, no, this is the genre that I'm going to do. I think it's. I think it's something that's. I've always. I've always read crime. I've always been interested in crime. I'm interested in puzzles. I'm interested in what goes on behind closed doors. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was never a case of picking a genre. It was just that's what I do. And um, I've all you know right going right all the way back to Amy Blyton's The Famous Five. They were, they were the books that I loved as a child. And um, you know when I speak to other crime writers, they're very much very similar. Um, and I've always grown up with that. Um, and I always think that crime readers, as I mentioned before, are the, the, yeah, the people who love the puzzles, who want an intellectual challenge, who want to be stretched with a book. I always love learning something new as well when I'm reading a book. So, um, you know, picking something up that I didn't know before. Um, yeah, so, I, so it's not really a case of consciously deciding that I want to write crime. That's what I've always read. And it's yeah. the type of story that that's where my mind works. So, uh, yeah. It, it makes sense that it's good to have that, I always say, foundation base. Because I started off with historical and Catherine Cookson. And then, you know, my, my grandmother was like, I think this is an inappropriate um, level you should be reading. And then she introduced me to, like, Marianne Carley and, and Celia Reese. And I started reading a lot of that. Um, and to be honest, I think they drove me to be a writer, to be a writer and be proud of that. But yeah, I think if you don't have a good base and you don't really know that market, it can be so much harder mm. 
and it's vital. I think I don't think you can write in a genre you don't read because yeah. you don't understand the tropes and you don't understand what mm -hmm. else is out there and the um, rules. I call it. Yeah. Sorry, I understand yeah. that. Uh, the rules. I call it rules. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's you know, it's just it's just understanding how it works and what works and what doesn't work and. Um, yeah, the, the best of it. You want to try and be the best that you possibly can be and your book to be the best that it can be. And um, I think you need to read, you need to understand what it is you're writing in order to be able to do that. So. And of course, me being young and spontaneous, I thought at the time sports romance wasn't a thing. And I thought, ah, oh, I'm going to do sports romance, but I'm going to do it with wrestling. And of course, it never been done before. And it's only now starting to change where, you know, you are seeing a lot of more different sports. It's not just basketball and football. So you are seeing like golf and you're seeing all these other things. Um, but I didn't have rules to begin with. So uh, I wish I had, I wish I'd started in a genre that was established and moved well, the on from romance, there. The rules of romance apply whatever, whatever your setting yeah. is, don't they? So uh, yeah. inverted commas. My it, it was the balancing of the sports element mm. in the romance. I, I you know, I found very difficult but once I got it I was really comfortable with it mm. um, so now I'm just sort of moving into other things that I've read tons of that I know really well um, you know whether it's Viking stories I've grown up with or whether it's you know historical stories I grew up with in Shetland I've sort of pulled on that and I'm starting to write more of that because I do love my historical I do love my crime um, much to the horror I think of all the locals that grew up with me and they're like wait our classmates what <laughs> you know um but yeah I, I think rules are really important because if you don't know them you can make some huge mistakes that mm. well i think just rules, there are rules and everything but rule and rules in writing are made to be broken because if you want to understand what they are then you can push the boundaries yeah. of the genre but um but yeah there there are there are yeah there are things that you don't Break. in order to make the writing better I think and, the, and it's all to do with the reader, the reader experience um, and understanding who your reader is and the type of what you know what they're going to want um, and I think that's you have to read you have to know what they're, else they're reading in order to, yeah. be able to be able to deliver so when you're writing is it movie style or do you just sort of see like broken like a broken mirror that you've got to put back together like a jigsaw puzzle um no, I just I suppose I just see the story just the story plays out in my head as I'm as I'm writing. Um, I don't know if that's movie style, but yeah, um, that, yeah, think, we would call yeah, it movie style. Yeah. Of, I don't think in terms of movies and whether it's going to be a movie as I'm writing it. Um, but no, I just I see the story as it as it's evolving, and obviously the characters take over and do things I don't expect um, as we're moving forwards. But um, uh, yeah, I think that's how how I write. I, as I say, I've plotted it out to a certain extent beforehand. I didn't plot the mystery for particularly that I mean there was a lot of editing to do afterwards but generally speaking I've got a very clear idea of the beginning and often the end I like to have a very clear picture of where I'm going um, so I know what the end scene is going to be even if I don't know exactly what happens and yeah. um, then obviously some of the hiccups along the way I'll have a clear idea of so I know what I'm working towards the whole time um, and that's the way I suppose I write yeah that, I mean that's really good because in some ways when I when I begin to plot is like shattered pieces of glass I know there's a story there I just got to put the pieces in the right order and then once the, it is in the right order it's just a movie for me so I have a bit of both going on which is a nightmare to be honest sometimes because you always think you're missing a piece I think 
and that piece is when you finish it that that's when it becomes whole I think well hopefully um, at the end of the first draft you've got an idea you've certainly an idea yeah. at the end of the first draft of what the story's going to be and who the characters yeah. are and what's happening so but for me it's getting to the end of the first draft and not feeling that need that I've forgotten something mm. I think well, that's my because you can always add it in you yeah know, whole, but that's, it is that's that's that crushing moment of, what have I forgotten there's like you know it, it you know it's something but you just feel like you can't work it out mm. and you know once the story's completely pulled out I'll sit with Ian and I'll go I can't figure out what's missing or I'll sit with somebody else and I'll say I can't figure it, figure this out and they'll look at me and go well it, obviously it's that and I'll be like why can't I see that like uh, frustration but yeah, yeah. for so me I, I do several hun- several hundreds of drafts because of my dyslexia which, by the way, is has been such a huge hurdle in itself to overcome, because I have to read to keep the grammar in my head. Um, and honestly, like I'm educating my mind all the time by reading, so mm-hmm. I have to take time out every day and I'll read twenty pages at least just to keep it going. But do you find, or, or have you worked with a lot of other authors out there that might have had dyslexia or other things that they've My had to overcome? My sister's very dyslexic, yeah. I have worked with lots of them, actually. Yeah. And I think the, the tools these days that we have now, which can help you, are huge um, and really beneficial. So, and, it's, and I think it's also about understanding the type of dyslexia you have and, yeah, um, yeah the things that, that can help you um, make things clearer. Um, and that's really important. But I, I think it's yeah. also it's really important for people to understand that you, it's not you don't have to see it or I don't think you need to see it as a barrier that you just need to get past that and even if the draft you write is peppered with typos and bits and pieces that aren't quite right that doesn't matter because somebody else can always fix it you know we've got software these days that can fix things we've got copy editors we've got proofreaders and that's what their job is so your job is to find the story and uh, and that's your gift and that's as a, as a writer that's what you're trying to do is just find the story and make the story elements work um and the actual detail of the writing and the grammar and all that that can always be fixed you know yeah. um so yeah your first draft is about finding the story and and getting that ready and everything else can be fixed afterwards you know there'll always be somebody who can come along and sort it all out for you so um yeah i, I think it's really important that people don't see that as a barrier um, and that can that they can just move past it. Yeah, I work with quite a few, particularly in my writing group. I've got some people who are very quite dyslexic, and um, yeah, it is a challenge for them. It is without question a challenge, but but their storytelling ability is all there. So it's just a case of yeah, trying to get it, yeah. trying to get as much as they can on the page. Even if it's, that means it's very frustrating though if you've been through it at it like three or four times and you still miss that that, that, that one bit. You know. I do too. Yeah. I, I miss stuff. I've just done page proofs or something, and I just missed a whole load of bits and repetition and a whole load of stuff that, you know, you only see in that particular format. Um, but you know, even if it means talking into your computer and you know, or talking to your phone, um, and recording the voice and then getting the software to transcribe that and working off that, then there are always ways around these problems. I think that's the, yeah. that's the thing. I'm I'm learning the software. Because when I first realised I was dyslexic, I was such a young teenager, and I had such a heavy Shetland Scottish accent, the computer just couldn't understand me. Understand it, it, yeah. It was awful. Dragon Dictate, I think it was like two or three at the time, and it just didn't, I didn't stand a chance. But by going and talking to so many different types of people all over the world, I've 
sort of washed away that heavy accent so I've now got a much simpler one and I, sometimes I will I will just turn on the mic and I will just talk mm. and let it do it and then I'll go in and fix all the you know the spacing or the paragraph that's, or whatever that's easy it is to do afterwards, yeah. but I think yeah. the software we have now certainly with AI technology coming through more um, it learns you know it, and, it, and there will be it won't be long before there is software that can pick up accents as well and can manage fine with that because it, it learns computer, you know, it's all, t- all to do with the, the yeah, computer learning and it's yeah. not, not necessarily the best thing and there's lots of areas where AI is, is quite questionable in terms of copyright and all sorts of other things, but um, in terms of machine learning and um, one of my kids is doing a master's at the moment in um, machine learning is the one element of that and it's just really interesting, they can do anything really. So, so which of your characters have stayed with you the most, would you say? Um... I think I think all my characters stay with me. It's like they're 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 in because they're in their world, and yeah. um, I, there are some characters who I feel I write and their story isn't necessarily over. So there's a book I've written. I have a readers club, um, which people can um, visit on my website, um, which is sandbladebooks.com. And if you go to join the readers club, then you can download a free copy of a book called High Pressure, um, and that features a character called Anna Lockhart, who was in the third Cat Connolly book. Um, and also a girl called Brioni O'Brien who is in a book I wrote called Remember My Name and um, I, I, when I wrote High Pressure I didn't really feel Anna's story was over and I yeah. felt there was more there was more for her So, but I didn't know what it was so I finished the Cat Connolly book and she, I, I sort of thought when I, when I first thought of her I thought maybe she could be a series character because she's a very very strong character and um, she didn't become a serious character she ended up in the Cat Connolly book and uh, she's significant in that book but then um, she comes forward and then she's she's a big character in High Pressure so um, so she, yeah she stayed with me um, and then Brioni who's in that book too um, when I sat down to write um, Remember My Name um, I needed it's about cyber security and I needed a tech expert um, and so she was sitting there ready and waiting to go into that book um, she's a fantastic character she's got pink hair and she's um, really really bright um, and um, is now working in remember my name she's working in Dublin for a big um, cyber security company uh, but she's That's able good, to yeah. infiltrate somebody's computer um, in order to, to find out what they've been up to and uh, yeah remember my name is a very fast paced urban um, book all about cyber security so to a certain extent a lot of, lot yeah. of uh, personalities in that too but um yeah, so I suppose they stay with me, but I, I think they all stay with me because they're like, it's like having friends, you know, in a village or whatever, or you know, friends at university who maybe you don't see that often, but that they're yeah. still they don't stop being friends. They they're out there, and yeah. Um, yeah, so they stay with me. I think all of them do. Yeah. Have you still have you got a character that you still feel like you need to write more of? Write more of um, who might come back? I don't know. Um, I love Clarissa in the Mystery of Four. Um, she's brilliant um, and she was a lot of fun to write so I think she will definitely feature again and she won't feature necessarily as a main character in a book but I think she might pop up somewhere um, and um, I'm just trying to think now moving forwards the book that's coming out in 2024 which is um, about a doctor called Carla Steele her this is a bit complicated but her partner is a forensic psychologist and she's in The Mystery of Four she, we only just see her as a walk-on part in The Mystery of Four um, so there's a few people. They're all they all interconnect. They're all in the world. So uh, we'll wait and see. I don't know. I never know when I when I start a book. I've got an idea who the cast is, but I don't know who's going to pop up. 
So who's, what's been the most helpful technique that you've had and what's been the least helpful technique that you've tried? A technique? Um, I, think, I think learning to write and learning your craft as writing, there's no specific technique. You have to master everything. So you need to master everything from showing, not telling, to dialogue, to writing description. I love writing great description. I love writing locations. I think location, for me, needs to be a character and is a character in the story. So yeah. I want you in Shetland to be able to read a book and feel like you're in Bloomsbury or you're in New York or you're in Wicklow, um, the Mystery Falls set in Wicklow, and I want you to feel like you've, you know, you've been there. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. Um, I don't know, I suppose the techniques that aren't useful, um, there aren't really any, and certainly aren't any that I use. Um, I can't think of anything. Well, for me, I, I couldn't get pants into work, so couldn't that was a tight. I couldn't get pants stay to work. What's that? That's when you don't plot anything and you just write. I couldn't get it to work. Yeah. I, well, I'm a plotter. I think understanding understanding how you write, yeah. and understanding your own technique and developing your own technique is yeah. part of the process. And so that listening to other writers and um, learning from them and continually evolving is really, really important. Um, and so therefore you understand, once you understand like, you know, when your creative time is and, and how you think, um, you know, I, I could sit down and write something like that without plotting it at all, but I need to have, I'd, I, I would, I feel better going into something with a strong idea because then it's bursting to come out of me. So it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's understanding. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't have time to, to try pantsering anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not at this stage. It's like you, you need yeah. to have, I have to have, if I'm. I know a lot of people they'll, they'll go and they'll buy sort of like the books on different techniques to write, you know, mm. the pantsing vision boards and they have and they will go and they will try each one of the textbooks till they mm. find their own technique and I keep saying just just write and it, either you'll learn that you need to plot or you'll learn that you can just write it as is but it'll come to you. It's not something that you can go and study all these textbooks and learn it's well, I just part to, of who you are. I think you, I think you do have to study to a certain extent, and you have to listen. And otherwise, you don't know what you're doing, and you can spend an awful long time doing the wrong thing. Um, yeah. So those, all those textbooks and the authors and, and the people who are talking about the way their techniques, you need to be like a magpie. You need to listen to everybody, um, yeah. read as much as you can. But don't just because somebody says this is the way I do it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I think that's exactly that's what you're saying there. That's that's yeah. it's the understanding of the fact that. Um, you need to develop your own way of doing things, but we're all different in everything we do. You know, we different. Yeah. We look different. We sound different. Um, and writing is the same. We all write differently. Our creativity is different, and that's why writing is so fantastic, and why writers and books are so amazing. Is because everybody's creativity is different, and we're all coming up with different storylines, and we've got different voices. And the only way you can develop your own voice um, and your own storyline is through that sort of magpie method of drawing things yeah. in and you make lots of mistakes I wrote five books before Little Bones which was my debut novel um, but I needed to write those Little Bones was the fifth book so I needed to write the four previous books in order to perfect my craft and to understand what I was doing and you know really get the hang of it so that when Little Bones came out it was a bestseller it went straight to number one um, and I was blessed and it was fantastic and it's launched an amazing career but but it took that time to yeah. um understand i suppose the mechanics of writing and understand how i write um and and learning and just it is a constant learning process so i think yeah i think we're all 
we're all magpies and we need to be and you need to be yeah. like that you need to be drawing in and trying new things and some things will work for you and some things won't but you you don't know that until you try it so and term determination i always always say that you need to be determined because there will be times where you just feel i can't do this i'm going to go do something else but if you're determined and you keep going and you keep pushing and you keep keep at it then eventually you will make it it's just you just got got to yeah, be determined and persistent yeah. yeah yeah the best advice i was ever given was just keep writing and that's yeah. it you just have to keep going and you will get there um but it might take longer than you think and it might not be the first book that you write that gets published um but um but yeah keep going that's the most important thing because every single word i said right at the start every single word you write makes you a better writer um, yes. You know, every single book that you write, every single story that you come up with, you're learning new things as you move forwards, um, yeah. and it's all making you better. So that's you know that's where you what you what you're trying to do, and what we all need to try and do, I think, is improve constantly. When none of us needs, I don't, I certainly don't want to stay the same. I want to make mm -hmm. sure try and improve each book so that I'm giving the reader a better experience each time. So moving into your life, and this is just really about you and about sort of how you live your everyday life. Because I, I think a lot of writers out there, they think of us as these, in these big houses with people that do the shopping and the washing and we just sit and write at our computers all day, um, which is probably farther from the truth. Um, so what's your first thing you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing? Um, when I'm active, I'm going to the gym, um, but I right. don't, I'm not somebody who really switches off. So I tend to be doing, the thing I love doing and my relaxation is writing so I run two or three companies um, on a normal basis and obviously plan lots of events and do things like that um, yeah. and so for me writing is my relaxation so that's the thing I do that I love more than anything else um, so I don't really see it as a job as such um, it's yeah. that, that creative time is the most that starting a book is the most exciting time ever you know when you're starting you've got a new idea and you're playing with it and the ideas come together I hate, I'm yeah. never very keen on the bit where it's just sort of floating around still and it's not a thing, um, especially when you're under deadline. But um, it's, yeah. um, I love that sense of the, the promise that a new book can bring, that when you're sitting down to start writing it, and I find that that's my de-stress, I suppose. So what hobbies do you enjoy, and are there ones you wish you could explore more? Um, writing is my hobby, it's my job and my hobby. <laughs> that's it <laughs> i'm in the gym a bit but that's it uh, that's what i do yeah that's me so are you somebody that likes crafts and do you find that crafts are good for clearing your mind no don't no time for that i'm afraid <laughs> no you'd actually I run, be... I run two companies i run i run a publishing yeah. consultancy and i run a website called writing.ie yeah. um and i program events um and i'm on the board of two on the board of society of authors and the board of the crime writers association and i've got two teenagers and ah. um, run a house so yeah. well you know two teenagers one of them's 22 and lives in Helsinki at the moment but you know they're still backwards and forwards um and I write full time so they're never have... really gone are they to be honest no not really so yeah so I but and, and I'm under, obviously under contract to write at the moment two books a year so um that keeps me busy <laughs> so I myself have a long-term illness this makes me slow down and appreciate the day what would you say makes you slow down and smell the roses and really appreciate what you've got I think it's really important to find joy in every day so that, that yeah. you have a few moments of just and if you've had a rotten day that you spend a couple of moments just sitting down and you know maybe lighting a candle or um, yeah. having some chill time at your desk maybe listening to a piece of music um, 
something that you that gives you joy because I think that's absolutely vital life is very short and you need to have a couple of moments even if it's a short time um, to just chill basically yeah to, to, to try and take a step back or do something that you really love so it might be reading a book you know it might be picking up and and going away from everything and picking up a, a really great book uh, and that's your moment of joy um, so yeah I think that's very important what's your favorite place to curl up during the day and just read do you have like a, a place in your garden or do you go to a cafe is there a reader's note where do you like to go and just read I tend to read just quite before I go to sleep so it's usually in bed so I'd read for I'm half an hour, an hour if I'm if I'm reading for work for, for like say the judging um, then over, so this weekend um, I've got a lot to get through so I will um, get the fire lit in the living room and um, sit on the sofa and have the pile of books next to me and uh, yeah keep warm basically is the most important thing I think we're all doing that to be honest this winter because mm. it's been it's been a brutal winter yeah, <laughs> well, you survived the podcast and we're now on to the word game portion, uh, which is the bit where we all have a, a lot of fun. And the way it works is I will say a word and you give me the first book that comes to your mind. Okay. So your first word is thunderstorm. Oh, thunderstorm. Oh, I, I'm just, all I can think is the dark and stormy night, and I can't even remember the time, the name of the book that that comes from, but... Um, we'll take that. that that's yeah. a win. If that's what comes to your mind, that's what <laughs> comes to your mind. I think of The Moth by Catherine Cookson. Uh, because she always had dark, kind of, sort of, crazy nights, almost, yeah. in that one. So, yeah, it totally gets me every time. What about The Sea? The Sea? Um... I think my book Remember My Name would be the one that I think of for the sea because Brioni, who is one of the characters in it, is a sea swimmer. And um, in that particular book, when I was writing it, I was thinking in terms of the different characters representing different elements as well, and she's water. So she is, um, so she swims in the sea and she spends a lot of time at the beach and um, she's very sort of connected to, to the water. Um, so yeah, I think that would be. What about ocean? What does ocean make you think of? Um, makes me think of Atlantic crossings and Titanics. I've of the Titanic. I have a friend um, called Hazel Gaynor who wrote an amazing book um, called The Girl Who Came Home, uh, which was her debut novel. And um, she actually ended up, it's about the Titanic, about a group of 14 people who left um, a village in Ireland uh, and went aboard the Titanic and uh, one of them came home. And mm -hmm. it's an amazing, it's a true story. And uh, Adaho 14, they were called. And um, yeah, basically it's an incredible story. That was her debut novel. She self-published it in, to start with because it was getting closer and closer to the Titanic anniversary and she had to. She had this fantastic story and sometimes some stories just have to be published at a certain time. Um, yep. And it was read by two New York agents. It sold phenomenally well. And uh, one of them took her on and she's an international bestseller now. So uh, It's yeah. incredible, yeah. What about forests? Forests? Uh, what do I think of? Forest? Probably Jane Harper's book. You know, the one where... I've forgotten the title off now. The, the the one before last, I think, where the people went off into the forest and they were on a team building exercise. Yeah, uh, I know the one you're on about. Yeah, and it's off on the tip of my tongue, which is Hang awful. On, but there is forest in um, exiles as well. So it'll be in the front of this one, though. Um, yeah, the, um, the lost there's forest in that. So yeah, the survivors was the last one. The lost man, force of nature. Maybe it was force of nature. The drive. It was force of nature. Yeah, it was yeah. force of nature. Yeah. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so that's what that definitely Jane Harper. What about stars? Stars? Oh, um, yeah. The John Green book, what's that called? Um, it's about stars. Written in the stars? Written in the stars. Is that the one you're on about? Stars, stars, stars. Yeah, I'm sure John I think of John Green straight away. Um, yeah, uh, he did do one called Written in the Stars. So yes, yeah, that's, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, last one Moon. Moon. Um, oh, I think of definitely Moonacre. So that's um, uh, Elizabeth Googe's Little White Horse, uh, oh, which is fun. one of my f absolute favourite books um, that I read as a child. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely. Set in Moonacre Manor. Yeah, I think of um, Roundhouse by Catherine Cookson because there's this beautiful scene where the girls sitting in her window and she's so sad and she can just see the moon and her entire story starts from that night when she's sitting looking out of the window wow and her yeah. entire story is just really strong changed yeah. from that moment on really yeah um so yeah i love that just the imagery she had for that sold me on the rest of the book i didn't care if the rest of the book was awful i was gonna read it because <laughs> that just that one scene was just enough for me i was like ah i gotta know i gotta know so yeah, but you survived the podcast. Indeed. Um, I hope you had fun, because this is supposed to be the one piece of media you get to do that's fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's been brilliant. It's been great. And Lovely you know, we'll we'd love to have you back uh, yeah. when you've got a new book coming out. You'll have to come back and tell us all about it and <laughs> break it down a bit and share some some you know writing secrets and goosey secrets that got you there. Maybe even share some, you know, possible actor dates that represent your characters. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really hopeless on that because I never watch films, so I don't know what I never know who anybody is. People are always see asking, what, what I do. Who wants to play such and such as such a character, and I have absolutely no idea. I think that's the casting director's job, and they're yeah. the ones that know. So, well, what I do because I I know it has to be an actual face that I can like YouTube it and see the person moving and talking. I'll go on to IMDB and I'll just flick through different things till I find that face that fits whoever it is and then I can YouTube it and then I have the I can then finally see the whole form of who, who I've put together um, I, I wish, well one of these days I will do a podcast about one of the, the books that I did where I sat for about two months trying to find this one character <laughs> Because it was, it was painful. But uh, when I got it in the end, I was like, ha <laughs> So yeah, we I think we all have one of those moments, really, to be honest. But it has been a pleasure having you on. We would be super excited to have you back. Guys, you're going to want to check out next week because we have an amazing surprise visitor that I wasn't expecting to have on. So you're going to want to come back and see us. And uh, yeah, let's uh, keep reading, guys. <laughs>